everybody, what's going on? Josh Wiggler here with our second ever episode of Down the Hatch, a Lost Rewatch podcast here on Post Show Recaps. And our very first bonus episode of the podcast series as well. I'm without my normal co-pilot today, Mike Bloom, who is, as I am recording this, very likely in the thick of some very intense birthday shenanigans. So please join me in wishing Mike a very happy 30th birthday, belated at this point. Uh, and even though he's not here, I'm sure Mike joins me in wishing you all, everybody out there in the Down the Hatch audience, a huge, huge thank you for all the incredibly kind and exciting feedback we've already received since dropping the first episode of the podcast. Uh, it's insane, to be quite honest, the level of enthusiasm we've seen over the past few days. Uh, people are clearly very excited to go back to the island and head back down the hatch with some weekly lost action in their lives. Uh, much more excited than I expected, quite honestly. And it's a huge honor and a thrill to be part of that journey for you moving forward. So thank you, everyone, for the outpouring of love and support um, and feedback. We've got a ton of feedback, questions and comments already ready to roll for the first proper episode of The Rewatch, which is coming up later this week when Mike and I go down the hatch and break down the two-part Lost pilot. The podcast is going to drop in your feed on August 23rd, 8.23. And we're still working on getting the Down the Hatch feed up and running. Uh, but in the meantime, you can subscribe to Post Show Recaps on your podcast app of choice. And we'll update you as soon as we have more to share on the feed front. Uh, for the pilot episode, even though we're already loaded up with material for the podcast, it's never too late to send something along. If you've got some thoughts, some takes that you want us to chew on, please send that our way. Our email address is fully operational, down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com if you want to hit us up with something specific to the pilot. One of the key questions we have uh, received quite a bit over the past few days, and really probably something we should have led with in our first episode is, hey, where can I watch Lost? <laughs> That's a fair question for a show that has been off the air uh, for almost a full decade now. This is what we've gleaned in the United States. If you are, uh, if you subscribe to Hulu, if you're a Hulu subscriber, you can watch Lost. It's there uh, streaming as part of the Hulu subscription. You can buy it on Amazon Prime. It's no longer on Netflix. Uh, if you've got the DVDs, bust those out. Those are always fun to revisit. Uh, we've uh, come to understand that in Canada, uh, if you are an Amazon Prime subscriber, it is free for you, if you are in Europe, it's the same deal. Uh, and the great Ben behind the curtain, Ben Martell, very cheekily notes that if you are in Australia and New Zealand, maybe you still have a DVD player you could use. So TBD, we would love to hear from you if you are international, how you watch Lost, or even if you are domestic in America, how do you plan on completing the rewatch? We would love to hear from you guys. Okay, so today's podcast, the first bonus podcast of Down the Hatch, it's not about any one episode of Lost in particular. Instead, what we are doing here is basically a final accounting before we head out into the vast ocean and begin our voyage through the next few months and very likely years of the Lost rewatch. I'm going to be joined today by someone who's an 
absolute fixture in the Lost community, and I am utterly grateful to call this person a friend. Joe Garfine, the executive director and co-founder of Cancer Gets Lost, an organization that raises money for various cancer charities via online and live auctions of rare and autographed pop culture memorabilia. There's a new Cancer Gets Lost auction coming up on August 21st, so Joe will tell you a lot more about that. What's more, Joe has been writing and talking about Lost Online for years now, years and years and years and years. And if you've listened to Lost podcasts on post show recaps in the past, then the odds are good that you've heard from Joe before, as she was a founding member of the Lost Lives podcast, which is the predecessor, the granddaddy to Down the Hatch. If you've not sought those podcasts out in the past, I, I do recommend them. There's a whole lot of Lost Love out there to tide you over while you wait for the pilot podcast to drop here on Down the Hatch. If you want to hear some of my takes, Mike's takes, our older takes on Lost, they are available for you here on Post Show Recaps in the Lost Lives feed. Um, Joe actually has been rewatching Lost as of late. She's much further along in the process than we are here on Down the Hatch. So today we're going to pick her brain about her notes from the rewatch thus far. How it soothed her soul, the deep cut nerdy deep dives that she's taken away from the rewatch thus far, and much more. And let's just take this time to once again remind you that Down the Hatch is a full tilt spoilers podcast, which means if you have not yet watched Lost at least once before, you're going to encounter spoilers here. This is not a safe place for you unless you don't care about spoilers and just enjoy hearing about Lost and this is the way that you want to experience that show. Then by all means, stick around. Otherwise, I recommend you watch Lost first before you proceed any further with this episode of the podcast or any future episodes of Down the Hatch. In addition to her Lost bona fides and her work on Cancer Gets Lost, Joe is also my co-pilot on a different Post Show Recaps podcast, the Welcome to Westworld podcast, where Joe and I break down each episode of the HBO sci-fi series with crackpot theories aplenty. It's been over a year now since Joe and I hopped on the mic to talk about Dolores, Maeve, Bernard, and the rest of the extended Westworld world. But today we're going to fix that, talking specifically about the season three trailer that dropped a couple of weeks ago and everything else we know, or at least think we know, about Westworld season three thus far. Check your show notes for when the Westworld chat begins if you want to skip ahead to that. Or if you're not a Westworld person or you're saving it, we'll also give you plenty of heads up within the space of this podcast before we get into the Westworld shenanigans. There's going to be plenty of Westworld spoilers there. Maybe you don't want to hear any of that stuff. Um, Before we get into the conversation with Joe, I want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode of the podcast. Those are our friends over at Amazon Originals, who are very excited to pull you into the world of Carnival Row, a new one-hour fantasy drama series starring Orlando Bloom and Cara Delevingne, debuting August 30th on Amazon Prime. Carnival Row takes place in a Victorian fantasy world filled with mythological immigrant creatures whose exotic homelands were invaded by the empires of man. They struggle to coexist with humans, forbidden to live, love, or fly with freedom. Orlando Bloom plays Rycroft Philistrate, also known as Philo, a police inspector investigating a string of gruesome murders threatening the uneasy peace of the row. Cara Delevingne plays Vignette Stonemoss, a fairy refugee who flees her war-torn homeland to come to the Berg, where she must contend not only with rampant human prejudice against her kind, but with the secrets that have followed her to this new land. But even in darkness, hope 
lives as this human detective and fairy rekindle their dangerous affair despite an increasingly intolerant society. How does all that sound to you? If it sounds fun, then check it out on August 30th when Carnival Road drops on Amazon Prime Video just in time for Labor Day weekend. All right. So with all of that said, let's hop into today's podcast. And I could not be more excited to be back on a microphone with this person for the first time in way too long. She is the co-founder and executive director of Cancer Gets Lost, my co-host on the Welcome to Westworld podcast, and someone who is deep down the hatch on her own Lost Rewatch right now, Joe Garfine. Welcome to Down the Hatch. Thank you so much. This is a great joy because to rewatch this show alone and not take notes and not tweet about it and not text you about it is it's it's not been lonely, but it's exciting that you're doing it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is this is very exciting because as I already said in the introduction, Joe, you're not only one of my dearest friends, but you are truly a pillar in the lost community. And I really do feel like there's just something in the air right now. I know that we're we're looking down the barrel of the 10-year anniversary of the Lost series finale, and we'll, we'll talk about some things that are surrounding that later in the podcast. And we're also approaching 15 years on from the series premiere. So there's some great numbers and some great Lost <laughs> magic that seems to be in the air. Um, but you started doing your own Lost rewatch before I had even mentioned to you that I was going to be doing my second Lost rewatch of 2019. How did this happen for you? Tell me more. Well, I've never watched the entire thing one through six. I watched seasons one through five for a rewatch uh, blogging project that I did with the Houston Chronicle literally until the end of season five. And then I decided that this would be a treat when I have time. I don't have a lot of time, but I thought I would multitask because I'm working on the 2020 lost auction for cancer gets lost. It's going to be our first lost only online charity auction since we started in 2012, since our first auction. And so because I have all of these items which relate to and some of the items were on the show, I thought it would mean more on a sentimental level to look at the items, to have the tactile items in front of me and log them in while I'm watching Lost. And it has been a very unique experience. I've even teared up at times when I'm literally holding a Ben Linus shirt and he's wearing it on screen. Ben Linus making you cry for uh, reasons he's not typically known for making people cry. Uh, Precise. Well, Michael Emerson is a is a phenomenal human being. Uh, so you know he's a much nicer man than than the character he plays on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm in a very um, unique position in the Lost community. I'm sort of a bridge between the fans and the cast crew because of Cancer Gets Lost, and so it has been an absolute joy to take this journey and to rediscover what I love about the show. All right. So we're going to get into all of that again. Just a, just your second and final spoiler warning that there <laughs> are spoilers here. Uh, Michael Emerson as Benjamin Linus, we can talk about in greater detail past this point. If you are still listening, then I assume that you have watched lost all the way through at least the once, if not more than that. Um, Joe, I, I, I said in our introduction, uh, that you are, you are, you are prolific within the lost community, that you are somebody who has been in the trenches with the island for so long now. Can you list out some of those credentials for the listeners who, who may not know you, who may be encountering you for the first time? I know that you would have had a better answer to the question about did lost make you go off and read books than I did on the <laughs> inaugural podcast of Down the Hatch. 
I mean, I don't know about credentials because, you know, I started off uh, blogging about Lost and it started really around season three for me. And it took off in seasons, I would say, four through six. And it became popular literally uh, on MySpace to age myself and the show. And then it took off in newsletters for, via email and then Facebook. That was Facebook. the one with uh, Tom Friendly, right? He was the, the <laughs> friend that everybody had. Exactly. Very Tom friendly. And it took off when Facebook came around um, pre Twitter and people would start sharing on their walls. And then some of the cast and crew who I literally didn't know them, but I knew their names from the credits started adding me on Facebook and sending me private messages about how much they appreciated that I was spoiler free. And I noticed that they had a lot of charity events in Los Angeles and I don't live far from there. So I would go down to LA uh, a couple times a year to attend charity events. And I became close with a lot of them. And long story short, when the show ended, Um, I had a little pre early midlife crisis of what am I going to do with my life? Um, You know, I wasn't podcasting wasn't a big thing in 2010, at least not to me. Uh, I didn't want to blog anymore necessarily. I tried freelance writing, but I don't have the thick enough skin for that. Um, I don't either. And I don't know why it's my chosen profession. But that's a that's a that's a a, not even for a podcast another day. That's a conversation with my therapist. We share a lot of genes. That's for sure. Um, So. Long story short, uh, Jared Wong, a fellow Lost fan, and I sort of brainstormed when we were at the official ABC Lost auction, and they, you know, sold off all of these amazing screen use props. And um, no offense, ABC, but they did not donate a cent of that to charity. At least they didn't publish it if they did. And so, uh, at the time, I had a friend with brain cancer, and Jay and I were talking about how I could raise money for her, and um, mentioned that uh, I had been in touch with Jorge Garcia through my Lost blog, and I just put it out there that I'm going to put on some stuff on eBay that I have some collectibles that I've had that I collected at other charity auctions. And then it really, it really took off where he donated a piece of 815, like a small piece of the oceanic 815 airplane. He signed it. He sent it. We raised like a lot of money for my friend with cancer. And then we decided to launch cancer gets lost. Um, we both do it in our spare time. We started with lost and, uh, our last big auction in 2018, we had 75 different TV shows, 35 films, um, just to give you a quick, because I know we like numbers, a quick number. Since 2012, we have raised and donated almost $300,000 to cancer charity. That's incredible. That's absolutely- In our spare time, which is like the thing we're most proud of. Uh, you know, and it's all because of goodwill. It's all because of kindness. It's the cast and crew who've moved on to different shows and always think about us when they have things to donate. It's the fans who have stuck with us from day one. We have new fans. And I'm sure like this podcast, people who are new to Lost are discovering cancer gets lost and they've kind of gone hand in hand. Um, I'm very fortunate to have the opportunity to use this platform. So I appreciate you letting me talk about it here. Yeah. Well, I also know that you've got an auction that's coming up this week. Uh, something that, yes. is, that is very relevant. You've got the, you've got the auction coming up in 2020, uh, later, later in 2020, but you've got one that is, uh, days away as we are recording this, uh, maybe ongoing as you are listening to this, depending on when you are listening to this podcast. Yes, probably just opening. So Wednesday, August 21st, we have the Cancer Gets Lost TV Writer's Room Doodles Charity Auction. It's an online charity auction curated by a former Lost writer producer and our very good friend, Javier Grillo Markswatch. And it was his idea. He said, you know, I always donate these doodles to Cancer Gets Lost auctions. They sell well. What if I contacted all of my industry friends and see if they wanted to donate doodles from their writer's room? And what a great, fun, unique idea. It really took off. Um, he curated and, and collected 
did you know so many for us and including a lot of packages of different writers from different writers rooms everything from you know the CWDC TV universe so we have everything from Arrow and Supergirl to Supernatural to The 100 to upcoming Shonda Rhimes shows that don't even have titles yet the untitled Bridgerton project which is coming to Netflix and their writers room does custom embroidery they embroidered a doodle <laughs> it's so cool an embroidered doodle i think uh those are two words i've never heard in the same, same sentence or even in the same paragraph i don't think and then my friend Graham Manson, who used to run a uh, co-show run Orphan Black, is doing Snowpiercer based on the movie. It's a new TBS series coming in 2020, already been renewed for two seasons. His writing staff does origami, so they sent custom origami, wow. which is Again, these are such unique things, not only for Cancer Get Sauce, but I think for fans to own. They're all really cool because they're small and they could be framed and put on the desk uh, at your job or your house. So, and all the starting bids are at five and ten dollars, and every cent raised goes to the pediatric cancer charity called the Pavlov Foundation. And Pavlov is based out of Los Angeles, and they, through the arts, they give cameras and work with Shutter um, Shutterbug, I believe, and they all the cancer patients take photos and have galleries and showings while they're in chemo. Wow. And in addition to that, they also um, fund underfunded pediatric cancer research. So that's why we chose them to donate every cent raised. So that's going on now through August 31st. And you can find out all of this on cancergetslost.org and at cancergetslost on Twitter. All right. And we've got that information in the show notes as well. So you can just navigate over to cancergetslost.org or you can hit up Joe on Twitter as well at Joe Opinionated, like Opinionated with a J in the front. I always enjoy saying that, Joe. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. But no, incredible work from Joe at Cancer Gets Lost. It is it is fandom funneled into very, very good causes. Uh, and Joe is such a champion for, for kindness and, and making the world a better place. And the fact that you're doing it through not just Lost, obviously my favorite show of all time, but through so many other uh, incredible shows and, uh, and other places, other corners of pop culture. Uh, it's, a, it's a really terrific thing. And you and I got to meet up for a little while at Comic-Con earlier this year, uh, a, a long in the making uh, in-person <laughs> reunion for the two of us who hadn't seen each other in a good little while. Uh, and the enthusiasm that you had even then and Comic-Con is such an exhausting place uh, was infectious. And it was it was it was great to see. So I'm so excited for all the amazing work that you're doing. Oh, well, that's very kind of you. I mean, listen, this is the, the last rewatch and being able to talk to you is such a lovely bonus to all of the, the work that we do for Cancer Sauce and just the day job. This is just like it's like Christmas every time I get to go on your podcast. Yeah. And hopefully with less time travel than the Christmas featured in the constant. Uh, we want to we want to ground ourselves in one timeline if we can. Uh, and Joe, I'd like to ground ourselves in season one of Lost. If, okay. if you don't mind, uh, I'd love to get in to, uh, you know, this podcast is notes from a rewatch. We are about to embark on our own rewatch here on Down the Hatch. We are heading down the hatch in short order with our official conversation of the two part pilot coming up this week. And then the plan is to do an episode every single week for the foreseeable future, which will take us many, many years down the line. And (laughs) we will we will be, I believe, in 2020 when we are wrapping up season one or at least getting uh, we we will maybe just finished it by the end of 2019. But I think that we are going to be in season one still in, in January 2020. So the next several weeks, we are going to be relitigating the very earliest days 
of Lost. And Joe, you have just done this. Uh, yes. You and I were speaking offline. And as of this recording, at least, you have two episodes left to go before the second season of Lost is finished for you. Uh, yes. For, for the however many uh, times <laughs> this, is, this has been that you have revisited some of these episodes. What are... What are your first takeaways? What, 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 what wisdom do you have to impart upon us as we are about to go down the hatch on season one? It is absolutely fascinating to rewatch Lost knowing everything about every character in terms of what they provided, in terms of the writing and the acting choices. I look at the way they frame John Locke so differently, you know, uh, whether it's one of those menacing ending scenes before the lost bug comes on at the end where he's, you know, in front of the fire or it's really interesting. It's almost as if they framed Charlie as more of a villain in season one, in terms of the bad guy along with Sawyer. Um, I it's, and and Saeed in retrospect now doesn't seem as heroic until later and so I'm sort of applying later seasons to my rewatch of one but it stands the test of time it is shocking to me that a 2004 show in 2019 stands the test of time and I think that's because there's no technology on the island there's no old cell phones sure in flashbacks there's some but I feel like that sort of has kept the magic in a bottle because we're not distracted by something that's very timely and you typically when when you approach Lost, it's really the the later game stuff that's your bread and butter, right? Like I, I think that you're a huge advocate of the final season. You love the ending. Um, when it comes to the earlier seasons, it, is it kind of like a surprise to explore some of this stuff? Is this sort of uncharted country for you to some degree? <laughs> It is because I am on record as saying seasons four, five, and six are my absolute favorite. And I love the pacing. The post-writer strike pacing to me is phenomenal. They had an end game and they really, really masterfully, I think, created a, a beautiful ending, which we'll get to another day and another time. But uh, season one, I'm appreciating more now because they really, really planted some seeds that they followed up with later. And, you know, the, from the initial... Easter eggs of Dharma symbols that we had no idea at the time why or what they meant to just uh, I don't have anything examples right now, but some of the some of the phrasing, some of the words they revisited later in different contexts. And I just I still think it's brilliant the way that they interwove the flashbacks that characters appeared in cameos of the flashbacks of other characters. It just it I, to me, it's just, it's a beautifully woven tapestry. And I'm appreciating that now more. I think one of the things that, you know, I'm, I'm in, in my newest rewatch, the rewatch that I'm doing here for this podcast. I have uh, I have like light. I'm, I'm going back like I'm doing like deep dives into the episodes and I'm also doing like some surface watches like I'm watching while I work. And then sometimes work is just going back and rewatching the episodes. So in, in the surface watching, I am through confidence, man. Okay. Uh, and in the deep watching, I am through tabula rasa right now. Uh, and it, it is it is really amazing to see just some of the things that are planted on the show that I don't think that they necessarily at the time intended to be big things that you can pick up and run with from moving onward from these moments that clearly once, once, you know, Damon Lindelof and the rest of the team that he had assembled as, as his squad of writers and the people who had come along, along the way, Carlton Cuse, not until I think halfway through the first season, uh, you, you can just sense that they were like, all right, we have a show now. We have a show to make and we have to build out our mythology. And what's there from the beginning that we can pick up and and play with in in ways that 
nobody's expecting or or in ways that like we didn't intend when we laid this down to begin with. Uh, and there's so much of that that's so rich in the first season that I think that there are going to be people who have not watched Lost in a very long time, but at least remember vaguely how it ended that are going to go back to those early episodes and be pretty mind blown at what's in here right from the jump. Right from the jump. It's it's sort of startling and kind of brilliant. And, you know, you can joke about how they made shit up as they went along. Sorry for the language. No, And of, um, course, and of course they did, because that's, right. how a, that's how a story grows. But I think that what what what's really fascinating is how much was there that they're like, oh, this is here already. Let's pour water on that and see where it grows and see where it takes us. Right. I think that they don't get enough credit for actually circling back. They get more made fun of, you know, generally speaking, for admitting that there, of course, there are times they didn't have a roadmap. But I think that's what's the uh, genius about the show is that they did circle back. And that's why I don't know you've changed your mind to season six. Season six to me is a love letter to fans. Yeah, I felt that <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I, I really didn't. I, I remembered thinking on my uh, my first pass through season six way back when it was airing uh, was, you know, there's there's a moment where where Jack and Hurley are on their way to the lighthouse and they pass through the caves and they realize they're at the caves when they see Shannon's inhaler here. And then I, I remember at the time being like, come on, like we have the DVDs. We can always go back. We'll always we'll always be able to go back to Shannon's inhaler, uh, that blockbuster storyline from Confidence Man. Uh, and we'll be so thrilled to get back to that. We don't need to be reminded of that here in the final season. There's other things that we have to do. And in in the rapid fire viewing of Lost that I did earlier in 2019, uh, that that really fast binge that I did in the month of January, like late December into January, mm-hmm. um, I found that stuff in season six to be delightful. Uh, <laughs> I, I found it really delightful how the show actually did close the loop. Uh, and of course, very famously, the show ends as it begins. We open on an eye, we close on an eye. Um, yes. And, and with that in mind, because we're about to get into the pilot as our as our first taste of the rewatch. What was going through your head when when we started uh, when when you started back up with Lost and the show starts basically as a as an exact mirror image of how it ended? I kind of got chills because they they filmed in the exact location. They put it, you know, like lying there. I that's Vincent. Vincent is such a touch point. I mean, that's the one character that everyone can agree upon and no one yelled about. And um, everyone enjoyed. So. I don't know. I had an emotional response knowing that that's how it starts, how it ends. And I also had the same feeling of tension and slight terror when you see the airplane on the beach, because it's so real. You the sounds, the sound design of the pilot is phenomenal. I think the pilot also stands the test of time. It's frightening. You think there's a real plane crash. How are you watching this? Are you watching this on TV, on your computer? What, what are you doing? Or do you have headphones on or are you just kind of watching it while you're while you're doing other stuff? I watch it when Lisa's not home so I can watch it very loudly um, in surround sound off of the Blu-ray. Yeah. Okay. So you're getting really good quality material. Yes. And I'm always pausing, still looking for Easter eggs. And again, I don't have any concrete examples, but I am discovering more. And I've watched this pilot a million times and I just think it's so phenomenal. And I judge every pilot of every show against it from now on. I I mean, since that point, I think it's still fair to judge against this pilot. Uh, Having having revisited it already, it it 1000 percent holds up. 
Um, yeah, I, and Gia Kino, Gia Kino from the get go gets you at the heartstrings. And I feel like one of the things that Lost did so well in season one, and who knows if it would last if it started today, is the emotional resonance that you feel with these characters. They establish it so early and so strongly, and I, I do believe that Michael Giacchino's score had played a very large role in that. All right, so I want to go through um, the main characters of season one and maybe some milestones from season one that we ourselves are going to be getting into here and just get your reactions to, to how these characters sat with you, how your perceptions of them maybe changed from what you entered season one with. And okay. let's let's start with the man that the show begins with. Let's start with, with Jack Shepard. Uh, what was your position on Jack heading into your Lost rewatch and how, if at all, has it altered uh, going through that first season of the show? Somewhat controversially, Jack and Kate, arguably the leads of the show, were my least favorite uh, until I rewatched recently. I have a much deeper appreciation for Jack Shepard, I think because I am 15 years older and I've experienced life and I have uh, nothing like what Jack Shepard has, but things happen, life happens, politics happens, society changes. And I feel like as more of an adult, I appreciate Jack's anxiety and his desire to fix everyone or fix situations and be um, a leader even when you aren't elected one. So I have a new appreciation for Jack Shepard. How about Kate? Kate being uh, another bottom tier character. Why, why was that the case and what's changed now? I think partially because in the flashbacks, they built her up to be such an amazing badass, albeit criminal. But on the island, I was always bothered by, I'm sorry, shippers, I never ship. And so I didn't like the love triangle. I wanted Kate, and I always thought she was way more than Sawyer and Jack. And certainly she has proven herself as a tracker and a tree climber. And a, you know even helping Claire deliver the baby twice over. Um, I have a new appreciation for Kate as a whole character separate. I'm watching it now as Kate Austin solo and not in the love triangle. And I like it so much more. Mike Bloom says that he's not a huge Kate fan. And I don't know how much of it for me is just because I think Evangeline Lilly is so much more talented than she even gets credit for, even though her career is blowing up in fantastic, fabulous ways. So clearly she's getting some credit, but I think just as, as a performer, she's stunning. Uh, the, some of the work that she does. And especially if you know some of the backstory of how she got involved in Lost and how quickly, uh, she had to like get to, to, to filming. Uh, once things happen for her behind the scenes, what are what are some of the ways in for a person who does not really care for Kate that much to change that opinion? Because I want to work on that with Mike. I want to get <laughs> Mike on board with Kate Austin is one of my missions. Well, it's interesting because now having watched the whole thing, I know this is a, a podcast. So we don't have to worry about spoilers, but I feel like her arc it was very satisfying in terms of she turns out to be such an amazing friend to Claire and caretaker for Aaron. She, you know, I feel like the Island, they were brought there and tested and Kate, Kate's choices to me. Now I appreciate her as a main candidate to have taken over the Island. I feel like she is an athlete. She has a mom figure. She is a leader 
Uh, these are things that I don't think I saw when I first watched it. I just thought that she was part of a love triangle and she was a criminal. And I'm not sure what her worth and value were going to be. But I feel like especially with what she does to uh, John Locke, not Locke in the end. I think it's she's a total badass. I've got some things to say on that, but I want to I want to save it for the pilot <laughs> recap and, and Tabula Rasa. But I think that they not that they're setting up Kate's endgame, but again, just the looping back quality for where Kate winds up in the very, very final episodes. Uh, there's there's some stuff here in the, in the beginning that that I'm excited to get into. Uh, talk to me about okay, yeah, good. Talk to me about yes, John Locke. Talk to me about the the Locke <laughs> that actually is Locke, Terry O'Quinn, and the show plays him in the beginning as you know morally ambiguous. You don't really know where he stands, and frankly, they they play that with him for for much of the show. Um, but certainly in the beginning and the end of Tabula Rasa, there's going to be like the very sinister. The camera pans and and lands on his very very creepy looking face. <laughs> Uh, but we have a greater understanding of the of the tragedy of John Locke, given where his story winds up, at least for him physically. Uh, what did you take away from re-experiencing John Locke in the first season of Lost? It might sound strange, but I appreciated his flaws more. I think he's a beautifully flawed, well-developed character, if not one of the most well-developed characters of the entire show. And of course, it's enhanced by Terry O'Quinn and just the mannerisms and the eye twitches and the twinkles and in his eye. And, you know, I think that he played his cards close to the vest as the seasons went on. But I also absolutely see what his future the future character says to him, which is you are amenable for coercion. I feel like they laid the groundwork from episode one on that Locke was going to be the one that, that Smokey targeted and that he was going to be his patsy. And I see it more now. I think that there's even at the end of Tabula Rasa, if you're, if you're watching that in either glorious surround sound or you have (laughs) headphones on and the music that plays at the end of that episode, it's such a happy montage that closes out uh, the, I guess, technically the third hour of the series. Uh, I consider it the second episode of the series, Tabula Rasa. Uh, but the music that plays out, it's so pleasant. You're seeing all these happy reunions, and it's the happiest moment on the island so far. And then the camera pans and lands on Locke's sinister <laughs> face. And the, the music fades away, and there's like a little bit of like monster crackle. That fades in in yes. in the background. There's just there's little things like that where I don't think at that point in time that there was any way that Damon Lindelof knew that John Locke would die and Terry O'Quinn would get the chance to play a <laughs> you know a, a, a shape shifting evil villain version of himself. But I think that there is this sense that his destiny was intertwined with the most central parts of the island and the monster being one of the most recognizable central components of the island. So there's there's a lot of fun stuff that you can go back and you can dig through in terms of his connection to the monster overall. Absolutely. And I'm a huge, huge fan of future lock flashbacks. So I like I really enjoyed getting to know him again. How about your friend and mine, uh, the great Hugo Hurley Reyes, <laughs> future leader of the island, knowing that that is going to be his job by the end of the series, that he is the candidate to take over the whole show. Uh, how was it revisiting Hurley, who at the very beginning of the series is not so good with blood, and by the end of the thing, he is inheriting a big bloody island? 
I mean, it is delightful. Truth be told, it's hard for me to separate now because I am friends with Jorge and he is as delightful as you could possibly imagine. Um, he is not as uh, openly gregarious as Hurley, I would say, but he is the kindest human being uh, possibly on the planet. And so, and by the way, congratulations. He just got married last month. Yeah, he, um, he posted some wedding photos on his Instagram. <laughs> he was wearing like a monkey suit and it was the most incredible thing I'd ever seen very on brand for him. He's really into that, uh, you know, planet of the apes and monsters and Godzilla. And that's his thing. Godspeed. Um, but Hurley is still the most delightful character and brings you the most joy on lost, at least to me. And I felt maybe because I know him a little bit that like, uh, I was more touched by when he was, when he would wince when he was called names by Sawyer or they would mention his weight or he would talk about his issues with weight and food. And I just find it absolutely fascinating. And I feel like he, if this was a Shakespearean play, he is the chorus and he's speaking for and to us. Um, and he always had that role. And I just, and he provides the comedy, he's the jester, but there's a lot of pain underneath. I love Hurley. And I don't think, I think I've only heard of one person ever not liking Hurley and the internet jumped all over them. So that was that. I have a hard time imagining the person who loves lost, but hates Hurley. You know, like, I guess I could picture the person who loves Lost and thinks that Hurley is fun, but isn't like a a top five character for them or something. But who loves Lost and doesn't love Hurley just makes no sense to me. It is strange because he is possibly one of the most likable human beings to have ever graced our televisions. Like who just who's out there that is hating on Hurley and is loving on Lost? It doesn't make any sense to me. There was. There was one person on Twitter, but I haven't talked to them since and I've already forgotten. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I don't know you. Um, <laughs> a, a character who who we grow to love over the course of the series, but maybe begins the series as a, a rather loathsome individual uh, would be James Sawyer Ford, uh, Josh Holloway, late of colony. I'm still not over that. Uh, I, may, I may be the only one. Um, tell me about going through the journey with Sawyer because he's he's so different, and I know that he's interwoven ultimately with your all time favorite lost character, Juliet Burke. Indeed, that of course helps. I think he has one of the most tremendous redemption arcs, so to speak, on the island, um, starting in season five. But boy, I get it. Josh Holloway and Sawyer are the most charming people, and so. I get it. I get why Kate is enamored. I get why people on the island, you know, are over his BS. And, you know, it is a his leadership style is obviously leaves a lot to be desired in the first few seasons, especially in the pilot and and season one. But you learn. I like that they pretty much immediately illuminate why he feels like he needs to be sarcastic and mean and hoard items and dole them out and be in charge. And I really, really, really love a lot of his season one flashbacks and what happens on the beach with him, you know, being a hero, being a villain. And I don't know that I I could dislike Sawyer. How about Saeed, who I'm I'm so excited to go on the Saeed journey. Uh, Naveen Andrews, so fantastic as Saeed Jarrah. But when when you think about people, even many of the people who have squared their beef with the end of Lost, Joe, are still <laughs> pretty upset with where the chips fall for Saeed. Uh, what have you taken away from revisiting with Saeed? I'm also the only thing I'm disgruntled about at all with the finale is who we wound up with in the church, but that'll be for a future podcast. But I have always really liked Saeed and 
I also find that his flashbacks are illuminating and I just I was just drawn to him from the get go. He was also one of the first people from the pilot on that was productive and needed to find the technology to get in touch. And he didn't give up and he wanted to do the fire on the beach and he wanted to do the transceiver. And I just felt like like Jack, he needed to be helpful. He's not a guy who's going to sit around. Um, I know that, you know, it gets a little bit iffy later on when he has to torture Sawyer for items. But and despite that, I don't feel as judgy toward him as I do other characters. Like who? Like Charlie? Yeah. So start judging Charlie. You said at the start, like you saw him being molded in more of a villainous uh, direction, which was a surprising take for me. And it's something I want to keep an eye on as we're marching through season one. Yeah, I mean, I I get like he has the crush on Claire and he wants to help with, you know, while she's still pregnant before Aaron and the peanut butter thing is very, very sweet. But then it sort of takes a dark turn after the raft burns and he and Sawyer like collaborate to prove a point that they're not safe by hitting son over the head. And he, he gets so angry that Locke doesn't believe him about not being on drugs after the moth, after his heroic episode, the moth. And then it just goes downhill. And I don't know. It almost seems like, and this is, again, this has never been said, but I feel like once Boone died, they gave some of his story to Charlie. Um, and I, I, that's just how I interpreted season one. Yeah. I, well, I think that a lot of that stuff with Charlie, with like the you know post-raft burning and the long con stuff and Charlie teaming up with Sawyer and knocking out Sun, a lot of that's from season two. And that's a, a lot of that's around the time that like, Charlie has like hoarded the the heroin statues again. And it really was, it did signal to me, and this is still played on the rewatches that I have done, that there was just a bit of a sense of like, we don't really know what to do with Charlie now that we resolved his drug habit in the first season. And so I think in season two, he does end up taking that darker turn. Um, but even that being said, he kills Ethan Rom in cold blood in the first season. So it does get <laughs> That's right. fairly grim dark for Charlie, uh, you know, pretty early on in the show's run. It's, you know, there's always like kind of like he's he's not as like the, the thing about Hurley where like I would have a hard time imagining the person who doesn't love Hurley. I can imagine the people who don't love Charlie because I think that there's a seriousness to the way that he's written that is sometimes not measured well with, um, you know, the, like it's it's not as compelling as it is serious. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's right. there's just like something that can be missing. And even though he's a very jovial character, what he's going through is very heavy a lot of the time. And it just doesn't always always land the way you want it to. But Dominic Monaghan's so good. You know, it's hard to. Oh, yeah. And I forgot. I, I... I forgot I jumped ahead of season two because it's so fresh. But one of the things that was interesting, too, is, you know, I had this memory of Charlie and Hurley being BFF right away. And it really wasn't the case. If anything, he was kind of mean to him a little bit in season one. It wasn't really until season two, uh, you know, then later on that Hurley and Charlie bonded. And but but what I also I, I do appreciate Charlie, because, again, knowing his heroic ending, it makes me appreciate the journey. How about with Claire, with his uh, with his constant uh, Claire Littleton, a.k.a. Uh, Jack Shepard's half-sister, unbeknownst to either <laughs> one of them. Uh, anything new from, from Claire on the rewatch versus what you had thought about her heading into the show? 
nothing particularly new. I do like that she just wasn't your typically pregnant character. She didn't seem like a trope this time around. Um, I actually think that she's stronger than I gave her credit for. And certainly she got more meaty stuff to work with later on with Squirrel Baby. But (laughs) um, (laughs) season one, Pregnant Claire was not annoying. And I was pleasantly surprised by that. Mike is really excited to to revisit the Claire storyline. And just in, you know, the episodes (laughs) that I've gone back and I've I've watched uh, there's there's really good stuff there, and I think Emily DeRevin is is really really great as well. I think that that's a, the cast is so good, you know, to a person. Oh my gosh, characters you don't like. Yeah, exactly. And look at they've all mostly gone on to do pretty incredible things. Speaking of characters that people don't like, we are getting into Boone, <laughs> we're getting into Boone and Shannon territory here in the first season, and Boone really will will get some guest spots from him later on in the run. But this is his season, and Shannon we won't have for too much longer past season one. Just I think six or so episodes into season two is where she goes. Uh, and just to spoil some of the focus on our pilot recap uh, coming your way in just a little while here. Uh, We already got a lot of questions about Boone and how he is (laughs) the worst uh, and care to respond to that is how a lot of those are, are framed. How do you feel about Boone and Shannon? Is it pretty down the middle? Yeah, they're the worst or is there some nuance that you picked up on these characters uh, going back and, and hanging out with them for a spell? I wouldn't say they're the worst. I wouldn't say they're my favorite. I think that they honestly, if anything, um, and you know what? I'm friends with the writers, so I'm not going to rip them, but I feel like maybe they didn't know what to do with Ian Summerhalder. And I feel like rewatching his arc with Locke, it could have easily been an arc with Jack or anyone else. I know that, you know, they, whatever, whatever decision led them to killing off Boone in season one, which also was a bold, bold thing to do when you have one of your heart throbs and you kill him off. Obviously he went on to bigger and better things with, with the vampire diaries. So he did fine, but I don't really have any feelings about Boone. I don't think his flashbacks were that strong. He might've had the worst wig worse than Jack. Yes. Um, I am on record as not being a Shannon fan and rewatching seasons one and two did not improve my opinion <laughs> on her. Did not move the needle. <laughs> did it, did it, did it that being, downward at all? I'm a completely biased though, because I did finally meet Maggie Grace at a fear of the walking dead event. She's a wonderful person. We bonded about cancer gets lost and we did not talk about Shannon, although there was just a, a small plane crash on fear of the walking dead. So we talked about that having flashbacks of filming a plane crash, but um, I really wanted to like her so much more Shannon. And I just didn't, I don't have an opinion on her except that. Okay. Bye. I think that I like Boone and Shannon more than the average polar bear. So I, I am, <laughs> I am excited to get into that and see if that opinion holds up because it's different. I haven't done a rewatch of lost the way that we're going to be doing it on down the hatch, which is week to week, you know, that we're going to be like really focusing on it in uh you know, like a, fairly extended period of time uh and i'm i'm trying to stay like one week ahead of where we are recording but otherwise i really do want to mostly do this on the week to week so is is spending like that much time with boone and shannon going to change like the the line of defense that i have prepared for these characters are they just going to be so grating that i can't handle being with them for as long as we are going to be with them or will much of our season one podcasting be focused on uh the rehabilitation some image rehab some public relations for (laughs) shannon uh stay tuned true believer 
I mean, I don't know, but I think also knowing that we're about to meet Ben Linus and knowing we're about to meet, you know, in a couple of seasons, Juliet and in, in, in even Echo in season two. And there's some such strong character work that it, those two pale in comparison. How how does season one hold up without a lot of those elements? Not that Mr. Echo is on the show for a very long time, but Ben sure yeah. is. You know, once once we get into Ben territory, that's a defining trait of Lost. There's no sign of uh, no no whisper of a Richard Alpert here. Uh, the freighter <laughs> folk, you know, Faraday, Lapidus, Miles. These are essential characters for the late game of Lost. So much of the late game of Lost really is relegated to like uh, there's no Desmond here. Season one yeah. is such an excellent season in in so many regards because it is bare bones and because you really do focus on this initial crop of characters that for the most part will see you through the show. But there are some essential fixtures that just aren't here yet. Was that hard to to go back through Lost for you and like have to wait a pretty long time even before you got a single see in another life, brother? I'm definitely impatient, but I appreciated the moments like when Jack gives his live together die alone speech when Locke says we're not the only ones on this island and we all know it. There's there are little touch points that made is are, that are making this rewatch go a little bit faster. But when you look at what we learn about the others in season three, which is a much maligned season, but I love the backstory of Dharmaville and the others. When you look at season one, Danielle Rousseau is not that menacing and is not as that exciting compared to what we get later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it was an exciting, it was a, a thrilling uh, prospect at the time of like, oh, who's the French woman and what is she capable of? Then you like know the scope of her story. And Danielle <laughs> is like still a good character. And there's, you know, there's lots yeah. of rich thematic material there. Um, but yeah, I mean, she just doesn't, she doesn't hold up in that same way. How about Ethan, who's really like the most recognizable face of human villainy in the first season of Lost? Does that play any differently from you for you watching season one again? I think, again, knowing what I know and knowing that he actually was a doctor and worked in Dharmaville and that Juliet helped give birth to, it, it helped birth him. It's just so bizarre yeah. to think about it in that way. Um, but then I was like kind of thinking and questioning Ben's leadership where he would send, you know, their own one of their only doctors into the fray to possibly get killed. And, you know, I just for me, like I'm just watching it and knowing what I know now, but he is still very menacing. He is Tom Cruise, buff Tom Cruise, menacing Tom Cruise. And because he's his cousin. That's why I'm saying that. Yes, I get it. And <laughs> yes. But I, I think he served a purpose. And it was one of the first times that I was like, oh, anagrams. Ethan Rom means other man. So I dug that. I dug that. Yeah. How about Michael and Walt? We're not going to have a ton of Walt in uh, Lost Past Season 1. And I do think that for some people, this character who at the time... They literally called an episode about him special, uh, you know, that he seemed so instrumental to whatever was happening mythologically on Lost. And in the grand scheme of things, still maybe to some degree, but uh, never really fully clarified in the way that I think a lot of people wanted to. So with that in mind, was it was it frustrating to revisit that storyline at all or was it nostalgic because, you know, Malcolm David Kelly was young and this is before he was taller than Ghost Walt and Harold Perrineau, who everybody loves, even if they don't love Michael. Uh, was it like was it was it more of a homecoming to see these characters or more of a man? They really dropped the ball with you, too. To me, there are two characters that were had so much more potential. 
and were not underutilized and lost. Obviously, one is Walt because of his aging up. The other one we'll get to is Son, but we'll get to that next, I'm sure. I appreciated Michael and Walt's storyline more now, again, as an adult, because you see people struggle as single parents and maybe have a strained relationships with their children. And because I am in my 40s now, I see that in, in people's relationships. So I know that maybe in when I first watched it, I found his relationship with Walt annoying, or he was too impatient with him. But now I kind of understand the perspective of Walt being frustrated with his lack of dad becoming his dad because he has to. And with Michael not knowing how to communicate with this teenage pre-teenager. So I actually didn't mind it at all. I'm curious to get your take on son after what you, what you just <laughs> knocked there, because but again, this is, this is Jin and son are, are two of Mike Bloom's absolute favorite characters. And I, I love Jin and son, but to put them at at that level was always a surprising deal for me, and I and I hope to to gain maybe even new um, you know enriched appreciation for these characters moving forward. Tell me about your takes on them coming into season one as the rewatch was about to begin for you, and what's been reinforced for you uh, since getting back into Lost. I forgot just how unlikable Jin Kwan was. I mean, good lord, on the beach and. In his flashbacks, but I also take into consideration the language barrier um, and that he was very frustrated that he couldn't communicate with anyone but son. In a 2019 lens, it's very hard to watch a man treat his wife that way, if that makes sense. 100%. Um, and so that was a little bit, you know, uh, I just sort of a little bit when I'm watching it. But again, because I know where they wind up in it's it's I'm very frustrated that they were apart for so long. And that's we'll get to in future seasons. But to me, I. I always thought Jin also, like Kate, had this sort of badass side. She Obviously, she learned English behind Jin's back. But then the future flashbacks with what she did to undermine dad and to do all of the... She was so smart. So smart. Arguably the smartest woman or person on the island, at least in my opinion, in my Joe opinion. And... I feel like they could have done more to flesh out Sun and make her more heroic because I feel like she died a hero. I'm very frustrated with how Jin chose to die and not go raise their child. But that, again, is for another podcast, maybe next 2029 when you get to it. When we get um, a decade from now. When you get there. Yeah. Yes. But I feel like there could have been more. And Yoon Jin Kim is such a phenomenal actress. And I know she's a huge star in Korea. And I, I lament the loss of her on our screen now. I know she did Mistresses, a show I did not watch. I haven't seen her much since, but I feel like there should be another vehicle where she gets to be the smartest person in the room because I, I'm just so drawn to Sun. It always bummed me out that it felt like it was so natural to tie Pake Industries into the Whitmore stuff. And to have some yes. father be connected to the island. And that was something that, um, like, I feel like even even today, like, Joe, when you and I get to show run Lost 2, uh, when, uh -huh. when we get behind the frozen donkey wheel on that show uh, and get to get to reshape the mythology of Lost, I feel like it's very easy still to pick up that cable and and connect those two lines to each other. Like I feel like that was always a, a real dropped opportunity um, as it regarded the Quan storyline. As I think that they could have they could have had Son's father be more connected to the island, and that could have made some of the the final notes of the Jin and Son story even more powerful in the final season. Absolutely. And not to jump ahead, but in season two, when, you know, son takes a pregnancy test and it's a pregnancy test from Widmore Industries, I got so excited and then I had to rack my brain and go, wait, is there is there a Pike Industries tie into Widmore? And I was disappointed to learn. No. Yeah. 
Yeah. What are you going to do? It happens. They had a lot of they had a lot of threads to needle to, um, need, you know, whatever the phrase is. No, that's the phrase there. There's a there's, <laughs> there's a lot of work that they had to do. Um, what else from season one? What else surprised you? What else delighted you? Is the raft launch as epic as oh. as it, it, I mean, to even ask that question is stupid because clearly it is. It's still as epic. As it I is. Remember. It, it's I think that every lost fan has the same reaction. You tear up. It's Giacchino's score. It's Vincent running in the water. It made me like Shannon for God's sakes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, she did need a buddy at that point. Uh, I just, I loved seeing all the characters together and you get a lot of emotion from people saying goodbye. And, you know, even though he'd never admitted Sawyer was going to miss them and, uh, you know, it's such a beautiful scene. It's iconic. The cinematography is award-winning. It is spectacular. And it amazed me that after one season of this show that I was so attached to these characters and I can't think of a show that that's happened since. It really hasn't. Yeah. Not for me, anyway. I mean, certainly tons of shows that I've loved that have that have come and even gone in the time since Lost went off the air. But uh, yes. nothing has nothing has hit me in the same way as as this show, which is why we're doing this you know it's why we're right. about to dedicate the next few years uh here uh going back and and examining it all uh it's just that show that still has that that pull right like it you know yeah. it, it never really lets you go which runs Lisa, my wife is laughing. <laughs> exactly yes i have definitely moved on but i will never let go and my wife Lisa laughs because I'll be rewatching Lost and I'll just yell, this is so effing good. It's still so good. And she just laughs and walks by because it's like I need to be able to um, express myself. I used to be able to do it when I was blogging. I don't have time to write anymore. And I'm very glad that you do the podcasting so I can just show up and talk to you for an hour. Yeah. It's still so exciting to watch. It's still so exciting to watch it unfold because you forget about the details. Yeah, I think so. I think that there's like little tiny exchanges Funny asides, things that I think I take for granted, um, some moments that are that are still like so stuck in my head that I laugh at all this time later um, that I feel like if you've only gone through lost the one time, you probably none of that registers for you anymore. Some of these lines, some of these just like character asides that we will get yeah. into like the into the weeds on that stuff pretty soon. And there's just that's the thing. That's what I have always said whenever I have talked about loss to anybody in the years since it aired is like and, and this is, you know, coming from me when I really didn't care for the end of it um, for for a while. And now it's only more reinforced now that I, I do care for the end quite a bit um, is that the character stuff, if you're focused on these people and if you're focused on their interactions, there's no way you go wrong because that stuff is so sublime and it's it's so funny and like shocking in the ways that they are funny and touching and surprising um, and how they constantly reveal new aspects of themselves to you. But at the same time, feel so realized so early on. Uh, so even just like talking this stuff through with you, I'm I'm so excited that we're like right at the gate of getting into this first season and doing this on the week to week. I think people are going to be really, really surprised and excited by what comes out of this rewatch. Fasten your seatbelts. You don't want to wind up in a tree. Um, some other things about lost before I know Joe, we want to talk about Westworld a tiny bit here. Uh, Cause it's been a long time since we've talked about Westworld, <laughs> but I want to give people like a good opportunity to, to hop out of here. If they're not Westworld people and they're only here for the lost. So on that front, Joe, I know that you are in the know 
on Lost 2020, which may be a thing that people listening to this podcast are not aware of, do not know what that means other than it is the name of the show and it is the year that we will be in next year. Uh, what <laughs> is Lost 2020 and why should people should people be in on it and excited about it? Okay, first of all, it is an amazing fan event that takes place on Oahu where they filmed Lost. They've done it twice. This will be the third time. They do it every three years. Next year to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the series finale, which is Bananas. The Lost Con takes place on Oahu. They are showing the pilot episode of Lost on Hurley's golf course at Kualoa Ranch, a spectacular location. It's going to be amazing. Then the next night they're showing the finale in the finale church. If you are all Lost fan and you are able to get to Hawaii next year, look up the Lost Con and Lost 2020 on on everywhere, basically on Twitter, on Facebook, on their website. It is spectacular. This woman, Kelly, puts it together. She's an amazing event planner. And this year she was able to get for next year, get some of the cast. And I will be moderating the actor panel with Nestor Carbonell, of course, Albert, Albert. uh, with with Albert. With uh, Doc Arst himself, Daniel Robuck. How's the Arst stuff uh, as you re-examined Dr. Arst? Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. I'm friends I'm friends with Danny, so I just laugh and roll my eyes because it's it's so fun and silly, and I cannot wait until we get to expose because <laughs> I know that he comes back for that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he certainly serves his role on that in, in, in season one. Um and then on the panel also at Lost 2020 is Mikhail, is Andrew Divoff, is Patchy. Unbelievable. The man of a thousand yeah. lives, but only one eye. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait to talk to him about why he didn't die every time when he got stabbed with a harpoon. Like, let's talk about that. I have so many questions. <laughs> so I, I have so many questions. I will forward some to you to, to ask Excellent. him. But a pretty stacked event. Uh, yeah. I, I am. Plus tours. Yeah, I so I've I've been out to Oahu and I've done the Lost tours before and to go and like get your feet on the ground of where they made Lost is as as a fan of the show if you're like a a real nerd for Lost and if you can if you can you know uh gather the the Desmond and Pennies together to to make uh-huh. the trip happen for you uh it is really really worth doing just on any you know any day of the week but if you're able to time it with Lost 2020, uh, I, I'm be- sure that that would be a blast, and I'm I'm hopeful that I'm able to swing it. Who knows? Who knows yeah. what the future may bring? But I, I definitely <laughs> want to try and make it work because uh, I've I've had a lot of FOMO with these events in the past, and uh, I don't want to feel that again, Joe. And I would say just, you know, it's limited to a couple hundred people. So it's very small and intimate. We do tours of the island in a costume contest. And it's it's just a it's a really, really nice treat for Lost fans if you can swing it. OK, cool. Um, all right. You got anything else about Lost or you want to talk Westworld? Well, really quick. Um, Cancer Gets Lost in 2020 is hosting a Lost only charity auction of okay. a couple hundred items. And we're talking Screen used, you know, in season three, when Ben Linus is showing the isle, the other island to Sawyer and he's wearing his green linen shirt for most of season three. Well, Michael Emerson shipped that to me and signed the label. I mean, it's stuff like that. You guys, I can't even begin to tell you. We have a lot of small items and large items. I have a, a pilot script of Lost signed by J.J. Abrams and Damon Lindelof. I have... I have binoculars used by the cast and crew that say Lost on them. I have... 
It's so hard to even describe the amount. I have all of the ARG posters from 10 years ago for the official alternate reality game. Um, People like Bad Robot and a lot of the producers and cast have made anonymous donations um, of items that will be in the auction. And I'm aiming to get it out in February or March of next year so that everyone has a chance to gather their items before they go back to the island or in case ABC uh, or Paley Fest or someone does an anniversary panel with the actors. That's what I'm hoping for the 10 year anniversary of the finale that Cancer Gets Lost can have items out there for people. And we will also have a small live auction at Lost 2020 on the island. Okay, so a lot happening with Cancer Gets Lost. Obviously, a lot happening in the (laughs) Lost universe right now. CancerGetsLost.org is the resource for everything that Joe is working on. And look up Lost 2020 as well. The Lost Con. I've always loved that name. Uh, So (laughs) the long con, I think, is is cute. I, I think that's great. Um, it's awesome. All right. Well, the Lost Rewatch is officially about to begin in just a short period of time. The very next podcast in your Down the Hatch feed when it becomes available and when the feed is available. Right now, just subscribe, post your recaps, uh, however you subscribe to podcasts, your podcast app of choice. And we're going to get the Down the Hatch spe- uh, feed specific feed uh, is coming your way very, very soon. It's not fully set up quite yet, but keep an eye out for that. The next podcast you're going to get from Down the Hatch is our recap of the pilot what you're going to hear next is joe and i nerding out for who knows how long uh for some time (laughs) about westworld Uh, and if you are not a westworld person i would advise you to turn off the podcast now uh we have talked about lost and it's now full tilt into robot cowboys and murder and violent delights uh (laughs) before we uh do not violently end this podcast but joe it has been so long since you and i have been on a podcast talking about anything, uh, obviously. But Westworld, that's our that's our sweet spot. That's what you and I do. And Westworld is on. Welcome to Westworld is on. And that's our podcast here on Post Show Recaps. And it will be again when Westworld shows up. No premiere date for season three yet. But it looks like we're going to have a ton to talk about when the show comes back. Ugh. I mean, I, if I had to guess, because HBO loves April, it's probably going to be April 2020. I, I but we know it's the same thing. It's probably, and we don't know. We know it's next year. But so you were at the Comic Con panel. I did not attend, but I went to the signing just to see their lovely faces. And I know some of the producers; they're wonderful human beings. That trailer, I might have watched that trailer more than I've watched the show. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's. Listen, there are people who don't love Westworld. That's totally fine. But if Westworld is your thing, if you have like hung in there, if you loved season two, and if you're excited to see what the hell could possibly happen, uh, obviously spoilers through season two are are ahead and are about to be dropped. And if you cannot wait to see what's going to happen now that it seems that Westworld, the park itself, really shouldn't exist anymore. There's really no reason for it to exist after the robots went mad. The hosts went crazy. Uh, Dolores has escaped. Somebody has escaped in a body that was fashioned to look like Charlotte Hale, but is not Charlotte Hale. And we don't know who's brain ball to use the words <sighs> brain ball again uh, are <laughs> kicking around in Charlotte's head. Uh, this trailer really offers up a pretty freaking incredible tease of what the future of the show is going to look like and what the future of the show is going to look like is fairly futuristic. I mean, and then you look at what Maeve, where Maeve is and what era Maeve might be in. And my big question is, does 
HQ exist anywhere else? Are is it going to be like an off island Dharma station? Is there going to be um, a, another big bad or another tech bad that's going to exist? And there is another backup server, and there is a place that is out of the park. I, you got to imagine that the answer is probably yeah, right? Like I mean, yeah. so much of the show, unless they're unless they're playing games with our heart, which is and our minds, which is <laughs> which is what Westworld does and loves to do more than anything else. Uh, it looks like the show is going to largely take place in the quote unquote real world in our world. Um, at Comic Con, Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy, who are the the showrunners of Westworld, the creators of Westworld. Uh, talked about how uh, this, the, you know, they always have a name for their seasons of Westworld. Season one is the maze. Season two is the door. And season three, they are talking about as the new world. And it mm. is, it looks like it is actually largely set in California. Uh, that it's, you know, a futuristic Los Angeles. I think it's, they, I think that they've said, or it's been theorized, speculated that we're looking at like somewhere in the vicinity of 2050, uh, you know, by the time uh, that that is rolling around, uh, knock on wood that I'm still kicking. But I'm if I'm kicking, <laughs> I'm probably breaking my foot as I kick because my bones will be so brittle. Uh, but it is it is set in the future, but not the not the not too 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 far down the line. Um, and it's got some Aaron Paul is is showing uh. up, and it looks like maybe there's going to be like this human host love story between Aaron Paul and Dolores, and it just looks so exciting. It looks so exciting. There's a d- definite Blade Runner feel to the trailer. I feel like in terms of tone and um, in terms of uh, cinematic scope, which I totally dig. I'm talking about the original Blade Runner. Sorry for people who like the new one. Um, and but they also, you know, it's interesting. I didn't pick on a- up on any kind of potential romantic relationship between Dolores and Aaron Paul's character. What I did catch, and I'm sure it's just a robotic bonding thing, but there was a very quick scene of Dolores cuddling with Charlotte Hale. Yeah. No, there seems to be some sort of like star cross connection there. Because obviously Charlotte Hale left the park as with the brain ball of Dolores. She was pretending to be Charlotte Hale, but she was not. She was Dolores back then. And then in the final scene of season two, except, you know, not the man in black final scene, final scene. Right. Uh, but the, the pre credits final scene, uh, Dolores is back in a body that more resembles who she's been, who she's been recognizable as right. somebody else as Charlotte Hale. And we have no idea who that is, but you're absolutely <laughs> right in this trailer. Like they're, they're pretty close. Um, is it, you know, a, uh, like, a you know, like a, a sibling type relationship? Is there something right. more romantic between them? It really, all of those questions just come down to like, who's in there? Who's, who's, who's real? Is that? Who is that? Who is Charlotte Hale now? I mean, I'm just excited to get more Tessa Thompson because I figured with her career being what it is, thank you, King Valkyrie, that she's not going to have time to do TV, but thankfully she has. And she's going to bless us on screen again. And what this is one of the best ensemble casts on television. And the addition of Aaron Paul is just phenomenal. And, you know, he brings a certain I think he's going to attract new and younger viewers as well to a show that maybe was so complicated in the first two seasons. And I believe you have reported on the fact that the Nolans have said it's not going to be as complicated in season three. Am I correct? Yeah, I don't know if I reported that or if they I think they said that at Comic-Con or maybe in another interview, but I've read that at the very least, if I didn't hear that at Comic-Con, that they're I think that their intention is for it to be 
a little easier to follow in season three. And I have no idea what that means. Does that mean like <laughs> they're not trying to tell like a storyline that has like some sort of gotcha at the end, which is what they've done in the first two seasons, which has been totally fine and fun by me. Um, but are they going to are they going to try and veer away from that for season three? If so, like, I just I don't know what any of that looks like. And I think maybe their definition of like, we're going to simplify things for you. Still probably pretty complicated <laughs> would, would be my best. I, if I had to guess, if I had to guess, they're going to make it more linear. I think that a lot of people's feedback and there's a lot of good constructive feedback about the nonlinear aspects are the things that turn them off in season two. Now, when I rewatch season two and I need to again before it comes back, the aspect ratio that they use is, uh, you know, on Lost, it was obvious and there was a flashback. There was a sound effect. If you study seasons one, at least season two of Westworld, they use they change the aspect ratio when they're doing a flashback. Right. And that's an interesting tell. And it's subtle. And I don't think that they feel like they need to tell you that because this is this is a show they've made for a very discerning audience. So I think it's smart to not tone or dot down, but to make it more palatable and make it more accessible to people who just want to start with season three. So we don't know if, if Westworld, the park, is still going to exist, but it looks like a park of some variety is still out there because we get our first look at Tandy Newton back as Maeve, looking a lot better than she looked when last <laughs> we saw her, like dead on the ground. So it's nice to, to... I'm glad that they're not playing us for fools and are just like, yeah, she's back. Of course she's back. We're going to show you some Tandy Newton right now. Um, but they got to work on the branding of the park. Like, I feel like they've got to announce a name for that park fairly soon. Cause I don't think that Nazi world is really doing it for me. Uh, cause it seems like she's in some sort of like Nazi occupied Europe and I don't know, world war world. Is that what we're looking at? Like, what is this? What is this place? I hope not. And I, you know, I love Maeve. She's my absolute favorite on Westworld. So I was thrilled to see her in a different capacity, but I want to know what we're looking at. Is that a simulation? Is that taking place in the same time as the Dolores and Charlotte Hale timeline? And then you have Bernard coming back and, you know, he's looking for someone he can trust. Is it going to be Maeve? I would assume so. Is it actually Bernard? Is it Bernard? You know, I don't, I, there, I have so many questions, but I love what they've done in two to three minutes is they've re-wet my appetite for the crazy bananas story. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that we're going to have a ton to say when Westworld <laughs> comes back and is, is closer to reality. Joe and I are going to be back here talking Westworld each and every week as the show is on. And if you've listened to our Westworld podcasts in the past, then you know that that way lies insanity. Uh, and I, I don't think that we will deliver anything less than uh, the, the, the same madness uh, that you found in those first two seasons of podcasting. Uh, I can't wait for that day, Joe. I'm going to be very excited. And I'm going to do a very happy dance when they announce the return date for season three of Westworld. Me too. And the feedback has been really, really, really nice uh, for our Westworld podcast. And I will reiterate as I do on the podcast, which is that my role is color commentary. I don't see anything in advance. I don't know anything. I speculate my deep, deep, deep theorizing and analysis has been my bread and butter for loss. I do it with Westworld. And a lot of the feedback, most of it constructive, was that I, you know, it's already a complicated show and it's really hard to follow my theories. So I will adapt with the show and see how complicated or uncomplicated it is. I'm not going to change my style, but it is a joy for me to literally just show up on your podcast 
and talk about my theories. And I, th- I don't think that'll change. I hope not. Uh, I very <laughs> much vote for that not to change. So please just do. I it couldn't every- if I tried. <laughs> I know. I'm very skeptical of this idea of like, I will change my ways. No, please don't. I don't want you to do that at all. I want you to. I want you to. I won't change. I will. I will adapt, though. I mean, if the show is is not as complicated, I don't know that my theories will be as complicated, although we both know that's kind of bull. But I do want you to know that I do. I'm open to constructive criticism. I speak too fast. I talk about loss a lot. And I'm all about the theories. And that will never change. Well, the good news is we have an outlet for you to talk about lost whenever you want to come on. <laughs> and we will we will get, we will get the podcast happening between you and I will get Mike Bloom in here as well. And we will do all of the nerdy lost deep diving that you could possibly want. Uh, and oh my God, we'll I, will, also, I will be a guest anytime. We will also reference Lost quite a bit in all of our other podcasts, even more now than ever before. Uh, so you're all in big trouble if you are not a fan of all of those Lost references. That, <laughs> that being said, if you've made it this far in this podcast, I feel like it's probably your thing. Whew, yes. And you know what? It's, it's a great joy to be on here. And I will come and talk about Lost again anytime during a rewatch. All right. Sounds fantastic. Joe, anything else that you've got going on that you want to talk about here before we close out? Not really. I mean, between the auction that's open this week and working on Lost constantly, huh? constant for 2020 to get that off the ground for fans. And we are still accepting um, rare and signed items. If you're interested in that, you can find everything Cancer Gets Lost at CancerGetsLost.org, at CancerGetsLost on Twitter and Facebook. And again, uh, we are nothing without the support of the fans. So I just genuinely thank you. Joe, is there, as we are about to prepare to, to talk about the pilot, and we are still open to feedback for anybody who wants to get your feedback in. Time is running out, but down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. Joe, is there something from the pilot that you think Mike and I should focus on? Any questions about the pilot that you would be interested in getting our take on? Something that is either unresolved for you or just a, a facet of that two-part episode that you would you would you would like to see explored in in greater detail in a couple of days here. I would just like to point out that you should pay attention to Rose and Bernard in the pilot, particularly what Rose says about Bernard and then where we first meet Bernard. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Right. yeah. Put a pin in that. <laughs> we'll put a pin in that. All right, Joe. Find Joe at Joe Opinionated on Twitter. Uh, follow along with Joe for everything that's happening with cancer gets lost. And again, cancer gets lost dot org for everything that is happening over there get your feedback in down the hatch at poshowrecaps.com you can tweet at me as well i'm at round howard also tag at poshowrecaps if you've got a question for down the hatch specifically please subscribe to poshowrecaps if you have not already that is how for now you will make sure that you do not miss an episode of down the hatch and we will announce uh the activity the activation of our feed once that becomes available uh your ratings and reviews always greatly appreciated uh joe i don't know when we'll get back on a podcast again but it it will be much sooner than the last time uh the 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 wait for our next podcast i don't think will be over a year excellent i look forward to it and i would just like to leave with the final words of cancer gets lost and, and in moderation of the lost phrase we have to give back we have to give back and we go back in our next episode of Down the Hatch. Take care, everybody.
Before we close out today's podcast, one final shout out to make, and that's to our friends over at True Car. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car with True Car. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you could do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate True Cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need. So there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out TrueCar today.